morning, church. Everything seems like weighted to this side this morning for some reason. Not that you people are heavier than those people. That's not anything I'm suggesting. I'm just saying there's more people on this side, so we're a little tilted. So if I start to lean as I'm speaking, you'll, you'll know why. It's good to be with you again this morning. I was able to be with you last week, and I, evidently I didn't screw anything up too major, so they let me come back and uh, be here again. For those of you that are visiting, I'm not the lead pastor. Pastor Gordon's the lead pastor. I'm Pastor Craig, the, the student life pastor, um, but once in a while he lets me be up here in front. Um, and so I'm fortunate enough to be, uh, to be up here with you this morning. And um, we've been talking about the exchange. I don't know if you noticed the graphic here. I uh, pointed this out to my students. You know, they're like, why is there, you know, there's a, a relay baton being uh, exchanged. And the reason we're, uh, that picture is up there is because we're in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, where Paul is actually passing the baton. Uh, on to a new pastor. He's giving an encouragement letter. So that's why that, if you're ever confused about that, why is that baton being passed? Well, because Paul is passing the baton uh, to Timothy. So we've been looking at 2 Timothy. We looked at chapter 1 last week. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this week. So if you have uh, a Bible with you, there's Bibles in some of the pews there, or you have a Bible on your device, or whatever, you can turn to 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of chapter 2. Uh, it would take uh, more time than, than we've allotted this morning. Uh, but how many of you have watched the staff read one of the parts of 2 Timothy yet? Any a few, few hands? Okay. Um, this is actually my chapter because I got to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, so I get to read it and then preach on it. Fantastic. Um, so we're in 2 Timothy, and like I said, we're going to kind of do an overview. I'm going to point out a few things, but as uh, last night, uh, I was kind of looking over my notes. Now, I wasn't preparing my message last night. Pastors do spend a little more time than that. We don't just come up with it the night before. Um, but I was working on it, and what my normal pattern is to look over my notes the night before, just kind of think through it again, uh, maybe scribble notes. So as I was watching uh, the defeat of the evil empire last night, um, otherwise known as the baseball game. Um, <laughs> that's for you. Um, uh, I was looking over my notes, and, uh, and so I was looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm like, how am I going to bring out all of this stuff? There's enough for six different messages uh, in this. Well, I'm not going to give you six different ones tonight, uh, today, um, but I'm like, how can I bring out all of this? So today, we're just kind of look at, looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. So I'm counting on you as I'm speaking, as I'm sharing with you, like be looking down at that, like check it, you know, look at it. And because I'm not going to be able to touch on every single thing in this chapter this morning. We're going to hit some uh, main ideas or, or main thoughts um, this morning. But we're talking about um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. So let's take a look at where we've been so far. We've had a week last Last week we looked at 2 Timothy, the first chapter, but before we even get into that, um, the whole idea of the, the letter, it's Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul is in prison, Paul is at the end of his life. Now prison uh, means prison, um, he is shackled, he is in a stone dungeon-like 
prison. He is on trial for sharing the gospel, and things are not going well. Paul is about to be executed. He does not know when. So he's about to die. And we've kind of thrown that thought out there for the past couple weeks, going, if you knew you were going to die, and you got a letter to write to your best friend, what would you write to them? And so that's kind of a thought that you need to have as you look at the whole letter of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing the most important stuff to his trusted friend, Timothy. And there is a father-son relationship there. So he is passing the baton on to his trusted friend, but he has also mentored Timothy. And so they are as close as you can possibly be. So you have to read this in light of that. Um, So uh, the other thing you have to think about is, once again, like Paul's in prison. And so when he starts talking about God's grace and joy and God's provision, he's writing with shackles around his ankles in in a damp, dark, cold dungeon talking about how good God is. You need to pay attention to that when you're reading this. And he is talking about things like joy and God's provision and God's grace. And he's in prison process that. Last week we looked at chapter 1 and we talked about three things mainly having confidence in the foundation of faith that you have been given. Remember Paul mentions the people in Timothy's life that had given him a foundation of faith. Paul talked about Timothy don't be ashamed or timid about serving Jesus and standing for him. Timothy may have had a little confidence problem or issue may have had little um, battles with fear or being timid uh, in the faith and so Paul is encouraging him and finally hold firmly to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word truth runs like a thread through all of 2 Timothy. Paul is constantly telling Timothy hold to the truth. There is a truth hold to the truth. Don't waver. Don't swerve off into stupid stuff. Um, You know, don't manipulate the truth. Don't represent the truth in the way that you want to represent it. God's truth stands and you need to hold to the truth. The church is still young. It's about 30 years old at the time of the writing. And there were people that were already manipulating the truth. And we see that has come through 2,000 years of church history. There have always been people who have said, well, I'm going to alter this little bit of it. Or I'm going to change this. And usually they do it for money or for power. Maybe I can control people if I misrepresent the truth in this way. Or maybe I can get people to follow me. Or maybe I can sound better to people um, because I'm going to just change this little bit of truth. And that was already happening 30 years in. People are already warping and perverting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's happening 30 years in, and it has continued on and on and on. And for that reason, Paul, even then, is going, Timothy, hold to the truth. Hold to the truth. you got to stick to what I taught you. Hold to the truth. And so in a world where the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ is already being challenged, what is something most needed? Paul encourages Timothy to have discernment. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Because today's big idea is we can help each other develop discernment. Now, you probably won't see the actual word discernment uh, anywhere, anywhere there in that second chapter. But Paul is constantly talking to Timothy about show discernment in this area, show discernment in this area. And that's kind of going to be our theme this morning. We're going to take a look at the areas where Paul challenges and encourages Timothy. (coughs) Excuse me to show discernment. 
First of all, what is discernment? Think about that. What is discernment? As I always do, if there's a word I want to know about, I go to the dictionary. Now you don't do that in a paper dictionary as much. You do it online. So I went to different dictionary sites and things, and I kind of compiled uh, this uh, definition of discernment. What is discernment? Since I'm old, I need readers. Okay. Um, what is discernment? The ability to judge well, to detect or distinguish truth, to process information and choose the correct answer or make a proper choice of action. The word discern and its derivatives are translated from the Greek word anakrino. Anakrino, okay? I'm not going to test you on that later. But a lot of times, our, the Greek language that the New Testament was written in is much more expressive than our own English language. And so we try and translate that into a word when, in fact, it was much richer in the Greek language. And that's one of the reasons we go back to Greek and take a look at specific words. So this anakrino in the New Testament, it means to distinguish, to separate out by diligent search, to examine. So there's this sense of... I've got a mix of stuff, and I want to hold to the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff. Okay, That can play into baking when you're sifting out stuff. You're sifting your flour, and you want the best of the flour, and you're getting rid of the stuff. Any type of straining out of something, when you put liquid through a strainer and you're trying to get impurities out of it or anything like that, that's this word. Okay, you want to you want to kind of hold to the good. You want to examine it and go, okay, this is worthwhile. This is worthwhile. This is worthwhile. Okay, that's it, and get rid of the rest of the stuff. So that's the Greek word uh, when we look at here uh, the Greek word with regards to discernment. There's a separ separating about out what is valuable and throwing away what is not valuable. Also, discernment is the ability to properly discriminate or make determinations. It's related to wisdom. Natalie talked to us about wisdom in the passage that she read. It's related to wisdom. It basically means to identify the right choice and then to make that choice. It's also a spiritual gift. We find discernment in the list of spiritual gifts in Scripture. Um, it can be a spiritual gift that God gives to some believers. They just have that natural gift of looking at things and going, here's my read on that situation, and that read on the situation is usually correct. That's a gift of discernment. However, that does not excuse the rest of the believers. You can develop discernment. You may not have the spiritual gift of discernment specifically. You may have a different spiritual gift, but that doesn't mean, well, I don't have to bother trying to discern anything because I don't have the gift of discernment. No, you can and should, as a believer in Jesus, be developing the ability to identify the right choices and right decisions and then make them. Everyone can and should do that. So that's discernment. Once again, I told you our scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're just going to kind of go through that. I'm going to hit a couple things. Like I said, be looking down at it, read through it uh, as I direct you to certain passages of scripture and things, but we're not going to read the whole, the whole chapter this morning. So first of all, uh, Paul kind of starts out this chapter. Remember, there were no chapters. It was a letter. Uh, the numbers and chapters and verses were put in later just to help us find things. Um, but Paul starts out in verse 2, and he says, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. You need to discern 
who to entrust with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, who to pass on the truth to. So Paul has taught Timothy the truth. He has trained Timothy in the truth. There's kind of four generations talked about right here. Timothy has preached and taught the truth because he is a pastor in the church in Ephesus. If you've heard of our book of Ephesians, and that's another letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in the New Testament, Timothy is the pastor of that church now. He is in Ephesus. He's the pastor of that church. So Timothy has preached and taught the truth. Now Timothy, Paul says, must identify others who will both guard and spread the truth. So Timothy now has to make a decision. Who should I entrust the truth of the gospel with? And then those others will then both preach and teach the truth, and then they will be called on to further entrust the truth to others whom they will identify to carry it on and on and on to our present day. So we're 2,000 years later. Can you imagine how much discernment has had to be displayed in order for the truth to still stand? Now, God is working, and God protects his truth, but over time, one after another after another has been entrusted with investing in and entrusting the truth of God's word. It's an interesting thing for pastors because obviously we come into contact with a lot of people and we're constantly looking at, hmm, who are we going to invest in? Who are we going to pass this truth on? In my years in youth ministry, oh, who, you know, who, who's going to be the next? You know, who's going to be the next? I'm hoping not to pass on soon. I'm not quite that old yet. Um, but but I've been looking. I'm already looking. Um, who should I invest in? The, these young people that I have come into youth group throughout these years, who's been one that I can invest in, pass the truth on to? Who is God calling to be the next generation? Um, and that's what Paul's talking to Timothy about right here. That takes a lot of discernment, and throughout the years it has taken a lot of discernment. So discerned who to entrust the truth of the gospel. That's in verse 2. And then he goes into this illustration the athlete or the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. He kind of gives this uh, word picture, and these people would have absolutely understood this. They would have understood the soldier. There were Roman soldiers everywhere. Paul's in Rome. He's got Roman guards. Timothy would have been in Ephesus. There are Romans running around all over the place. So Roman soldiers were everywhere. You could see them everywhere. So Paul uses the soldier. Then he uses the athlete. Well, they were very common, the games. Um, there was the Olympic games, but there were all kinds of games going on. There were always competitions. A lot of them were track and running type things. There was wrestling. All of the ancient games that were going on, there was always competition. So they would have understood the athlete, and they would have understood the farmer because it was predominantly an agricultural environment. And so if you didn't grow your own food, you bought it off someone who did, and there were farmers everywhere. So there, he uses these three things, and he t- says, Timothy, here's what you got to be like. you got to be like the soldier. Well, let's look at the soldier a minute. What distinguishes a soldier? I don't know how many of you have served. I wasn't able to serve in the military, but I do have a Marine father. Um, so I'm somewhat familiar uh, with the military, even having not served myself. And I'm thankful for all of them. But the soldier, what's the soldier got that sets him apart? And once again, Paul says, you've got to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Well, the soldier is focused on the mission at hand. From what I'm told, individuality is not highly prized in the military. Um, You go to boot camp and go, excuse me, Mr. Drill Instructor, I got a better idea. 
See how that went. <laughs> I told my friend that was just going, one of the young people that was just headed off to boot camp, I'm like, he, you know, he has kind of a mind of his own. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't say, hey, why are we doing this? I don't understand. I'm like, no, don't do that. Trust me. You'll get along much better in boot camp if you don't, I got a question. Why are we doing this? No. A soldier is single-minded. They are focused on the mission at hand. They're not distracted by other things. Soldiers have a mission. They're given orders. They don't have license to go, I got a better idea. They follow orders. They're also willing to suffer. They have a goal in mind. And anybody that's ever served, they have the goal in mind. They're working as a team. We need to achieve this objective. If we have to take that town, we have to take that town. If we have to guard this person, we have to guard this person. That is their single-mindedness. Paul is trying to liken that to how you serve God. And he says, Timothy, you have to be like a good soldier. And the other thing that I found out, I was thinking about soldiers. Soldiers are, are... always thinking about something greater than themselves. The mission becomes the key, the greater good of the mission. And so the soldiers are like, we're willing to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice to achieve the mission. Here's the goal we've been given by our commanding officer, and we're going to achieve that. And Paul says, do that, Timothy. Do that within the faith. And then he moves on to the athlete. Adherence to the rules is key for the athlete. Break the rules, doesn't work. Timothy, do it according to God's guidelines. You need to follow the rules. And rules is kind of a bad word in our society, but it doesn't have to be. Guidelines, structure, rules are necessary for organization. Rules are necessary for doing things the right way. And once again, like Paul says, don't cheat. If you cheat, you will be disqualified. And he uses this athletic illustration. Um, and also, in, its, in addition to holding on to the rules, you need to train like an athlete. You need to have a training regimen. You need to work hard at this, Timothy. I was fortunate enough, um, you would never know it by watching me play softball for the church team, but I was fortunate enough to play baseball through college at a small school in Illinois. And one of the things that was a huge difference for me, having played baseball here at Mogador and then moving on to playing college, is when you do a college sport, you do it all the time. Like, that's all you do. Like, you study. We weren't that kind of school, so we still had to go to class and stuff like that. But when you do a sport, like when we got there, we moved our stuff into our dorms. That afternoon or the next afternoon, we were out on the field playing ball. Through the whole fall, and then when the snow comes, you go indoors, and you play some more, and you do everything you can do in indoor cage, hitting cages and things like that, and the minute the snow goes away, you go back outdoors, and you play, and if you're not doing the actual baseball stuff, you're waking up at 6 in the morning before classes start, going to conditioning, working out, lifting weights, doing whatever they tell you to do, and so the, the training regimen, even at some small piddly dink little school that didn't even win much, was greatly, greatly um, advanced compared to what I was used to in high school. So the athlete, Paul says, you got to train like an athlete to serve the Lord. And then he goes to the farmer. Farmer, hard work. 
Farmers get up before the sun rises. A lot of times they don't go to bed until after the sun sets. I was out driving around not too long ago, just in the last couple weeks, and I saw in the distance, you know, driving in a rural area, a farmer. It's 8, 9 o'clock at night. It's dark. He's got the lights on his combine on, and he's still harvesting stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that, but, like, he's driving at night, still you know, harvesting the corn or the soybeans or whatever he was harvesting. Um, hard work. Timothy, you got to work like a farmer. But the other interesting thing about a farmer is, a farmer is long-sighted when you think about that. A farmer doesn't put seed in the ground and then go out the next day and expect to get the corn. It doesn't work that way. Timothy, it takes a long time. There's a lot of stuff that happens between seed and taking that ear of corn off the stalk. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between. A farmer is long-sighted. He's in it for the long game. He's doing what he needs to do now inside of a greater goal. And Paul talks to Timothy about that. Be the farmer, Timothy. Be long-sighted. There is a reward ahead of you, but right now you need to be able to suffer like a soldier. You need to be holding to your training regimen like an athlete, and you need to be, need to be long-sighted like a farmer. And guess what? That takes discernment. You have to be able to go, hmm, there is a reward later on for this. Hmm, I'm going to train now in order to hopefully perform later. Or I'm going to be single-minded and stick to the goal like a good soldier. The next way that Paul says, Timothy, you need to engage discernment is discern which things are important to hold on to and which things are not worth spending time arguing or fighting about. You see this in three different places. You see it in verse 14. You see it in verses 16 through 18. And you see it again touched on in verse 23. As I said, the church was already beginning to be affected by those who would choose some small item or some specific element of Christianity and they would make it a big deal. And they would argue about it. And it was not maybe one of the key tenets of the faith. But if they felt they could switch it or manipulate it or use it somehow to manipulate people or control people or make money or whatever, they were trying to switch things up. He even mentions a couple people that are doing this. Hymenaeus and Philetus are mentioned in Scripture. I just had this kind of thought as I'm preparing. Like, how would you like to be the two that were mentioned in God's word as screwing it up. Like immortalized forever. These two guys were doing something wrong and they made the Bible, okay, forever as screwing something up. And Paul uses them as an example. He says they're, they're saying that the resurrection has already happened basically meaning the resurrection of all believers, like Christ has come back and all believers have been raised. And we don't know that much more about this heresy that they were promoting. We don't know a lot about it, but we knew that it was messing people up. It was really messing people up. He he, Paul actually addresses this issue three different times. If, if something's mentioned in a short span three different times, it's important. It's important to Paul, and it's important for us to pay attention to. So he, he calls these guys out, 
And he says, this is serious. What they're doing is serious. Um, and Timothy, I want to warn you about this. He even uses the phrase, like in some translations it says it will spread like cancer. Or in others it says it will spread like gangrene. Because I'm not sure they understood cancer back then. And so it may have been referenced to gain, whatever it is, it's a bad thing that spreads and infects everybody. And Paul says, when these people are doing this, it spreads and it messes up everything. So be careful what you spend your time on with regards to arguing and disputing. Don't argue and dispute over silly, meaningless Stuff. Don't get involved specifically, he says, in foolish and ignorant arguments because it's going to do three things. It's going to ruin those who may hear and not understand. So if you're arguing about something and somebody else comes along and maybe they don't grasp what you're talking about or what you're arguing about and they're just like bending their ear and they're hearing you, it can lead other people astray. Maybe people that don't have as much of a... Uh, uh, at biblical education or whatever, but you got to be really careful about that sort of thing. He says, Timothy, be careful about that. It also leads people away from the truth. These two guys were leading people away from the faith. No greater charge can be brought against somebody than somebody who leads someone away from the faith. And then it causes fights and division. If you've ever been part of a church that had fights and division, and I have been, it's one of the worst things you can ever go through. It's a very difficult thing, and believers get caught up in things sometimes, and they just start fighting over things that, in the end, don't matter or don't make that much of a difference, but they're going to hold to them because they got to be right, and they're prideful and all that sort of thing. And, and, and you know, they come against other people that may be prideful, and they're holding to their you know, thing, and then just you got this going on. And it causes division, and that is harmful to the church. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Pastor Gordon and I don't agree on everything. You know, that's a shock. But we have, we had to have, when I first came here more than a year ago, we had to have some sit-down conversations going, okay, here's my view on this doctrinal element or theological issue, and here's your view on this. How do you understand that? If we differ, can we serve together? And we had a long discussion, more than one long discussion about that. And we came to the conclusion that, yes, we can serve together. We agree on the essentials. We may disagree on this or that, or we may see things differently. But the cause of Christ is far more important, and serving the body of Christ is far more important. And so we can disagree. Now, if I'm honest, I admitted this last service too, I hope he'll come to my understanding of it. <laughs> and he hopes that I will come to his understanding of it. And maybe that'll happen down the road, or not. But we can serve together, and we can love each other. Uh, another hint, I've been fortunate, I asked her about this, I've been fortunate to serve with Kara on a new little group, planning group for our life group ministry that's coming up. We're really excited about that. But we've spent a lot of time, me, Kara, uh, Jess, who's up here on the platform for worship a lot of times, and Nicole, we serve on the same group trying to plan this life group ministry that's going to be exciting. Um, it's all you're going to hear about right now, but it's going to be fun. Um, but Kara and I, we don't agree on everything. And she just told me that's because I'm wrong as she walked in. But, 
but I have grown to know her, respect her, love her as a sister in the faith, and we don't agree. And there's some playful banter back and forth with regards to what we don't agree on, but we can serve together and, and serve respectfully and love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and do that. Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't you dare, when this is all over, go to Kara or Gordon or me and go, what is it that you guys don't agree on? Tell us about it. Tell us about it. I mean, there might be a conversation about it, but it, first of all, none of us are going to tell you, probably, and it doesn't matter that much, okay, because it's not an essential. We disagree, but we can serve together. We don't argue or wrangle about the stuff that doesn't sit at the core of the faith. We have something that we call pie here at CLC. Um, Gordon has pat, put up the, uh, uh, the illustration before of the pie chart. And we use pie, P-I-E, to signify the things within the church that we can discuss and all of that. P stands for preference. Preference, no big deal. You like the, you like the old hymns. I get it. There's some fantastic stuff. The other person likes modern worship music. I got it. Really rich, you know, worshipful, connecting stuff. You have a preference. I prefer this. You prefer that. You can discuss that. You can have a good-natured conversation about that. But if you start fighting about that and arguing about that and going, this person's right and this person's wrong, in a matter of preference, you're not doing what you're supposed to do in the body of Christ. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, don't engage in that type of stuff. Then we have the I in pie, which is important. Now, there are things that are important. I would say some of the conflicts as far as mindset or the way we think of things with me and Gordon me and Cara, whatever, they might be important. I think they're important things. We can have conversations about those. We can even try and sway the other person to come to our point of view with some of the evidence and things like that. But they're important. You can have those conversations, but still not critical. Okay, we might go, I believe I have it right on this, and I think this is the right thing according to my understanding of God's word. And, and the other person go, well, I think I got this right based on my understanding of God's word. And we may not agree on that. That's important, but not essential. The essential, which is the E in pi, that's, you got to stand firmly on that stuff. Okay, Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Okay, the only way to have relationship with God, that's an essential. Jesus Christ, I won't go through every single one of them. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, died, rose again from the dead. Okay, those are essentials. Right? Those are critical. If we can't agree on that, we probably can't, you know, we we can't serve together. Okay? We're not agreeing on the essentials of the faith. One of us has that really, really wrong. Okay? Um, there's others. You know, there are critical elements of the faith that, that are truth. And you've got 
you got to fight for those. Okay, you got to hold on to those. So Paul's telling Timothy that. But even he says in the at the end of the of this part of the letter, even the essentials. If you start arguing about it, or you start having that discussion about the critical elements, you still got to do that with kindness. You still got to do that with patience. You still got to do that with gentleness, because it's not up to you to change a heart and mind. It's up to God to change the heart and mind. So you still hold true on the essentials. On the preference, meh. On the important, you can have the conversations within certain limits and boundaries and things like that, but you can still serve together. On the essentials, hold to truth. And that brings us to the next thing. Timothy, discern the truth in the area of handling the Word of God. This is one of my things. Um, I'm really adamant, hey, uh, dig into the Word of God and handle it accurately. We come to this in verse 15, where it says, be a good worker who correctly explains the Word of Truth. My study Bible is an ESV, and it says, rightly handling the word of truth. And so Paul says, Timothy, you got to get it right when it comes to scripture. You got to get it right when it comes to the truth. Um, the word here is orthotomeo. Another Greek word. We're going back to Greek class. Um, orthotomeo. You ever been to the orthodontist? It's one of the most expensive hoodies I ever bought my daughter. $8,000 at the end of all that, she got a hoodie. Like, you know how much that hoodie cost me? Both of them. We got two hoodies. (laughs) But what they do, they're straightening their teeth. An orthodontist straightens teeth. We have the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy meaning right thinking or straight thinking. We get those words from orthotomeo, this Greek word orthotomeo. And in this sense, when it says handling correctly the word of truth, uh, scholars kind of not disagree, but they say it could mean a, a number of things. It could be possibly a stone cutter term where stone cutters cut stone so that they will fit snugly. They got to make that exact cut so the stones fit together. It could even refer to a surgeon. Who doesn't want their surgeon to make the right cut or a straight cut or an accurate cut? Everybody wants that. It could refer to, a, and this might even be the most accurate, a one who makes a road. A person who is building a road and has to make a straight path through the woods or a straight path uh, through something. Not something that swerves or curves or is off or anything like that, but a straight path. So that word orthotomeo, and when referred to, when Paul uses it, he says, Timothy, you got to handle God's word correctly. you got to line up with the truth that God has in his word. That's one of my prayers all the time. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but this this prayer just kind of came to me when I was at a pastor's conference. God, help me to line up with the way you see things. Like, don't let me think, it. well, I think it's this, or I think it's that, or whatever, based on my feelings or where my emotions are taking me at the moment. But God, help me to see it the way you see it. Help me to see situations that way. Help me to see your word as, uh, you know, in that way. Help me to see things the way you see things. And when I'm off, then line me up with the way you see things. And because I'm going to be off, because I'm going to be human, because I'm going to be selfish, because I'm going to be sinful sometimes. Um, I'm going to want it my way. 
Help me line up with the way you see it. And he says, Timothy, you got to hold to the truth. you got to handle it accurately. And he uses the other people that have not. Hey, these guys have gone way off the rails. Timothy, don't do that. There's many today in our faith today, some who even claim to be pastors who handle God's word carelessly and loosely. They make it say what it was never meant to say. They purposely distort or warp or corrupt scripture for reasons of power or profit. Happens today, it was going on then. Paul says, hold to the truth, Timothy. And then finally, in verse 22, Paul says, Timothy, discern which choices honor God. And he kind of... describes a few things, but he says, keep yourself pure. He uses an illustration. Make yourself a pure vessel. There's common vessels and there's honorable vessels. And he says, Timothy, if you keep yourself pure and encourage people to keep themselves pure and live lives of purity, you will be used by God as an honored vessel. You won't be one of the common things that's kind of just tossed aside, used for, for less than honorable use, and then tossed aside. You'll be an honorable vessel. What choices, Timothy, honor God? This is uh, verses 20 and 21. He uses that illustration. And then he also says, hey, Timothy, flee from youthful lust. Now, he's not just talking sexuality here. He's saying anything that is selfish Timothy, beware of that. Actually flee, run away, Timothy. One of the illustrations that comes to mind is one of my pet illustrations in youth ministry. Anybody that's around me long enough probably hears this more than they want to. But when I was in college, I had a, we had a six-man room my last two years in college. So it was a kind of an apartment type thing where six guys living together and everything else. And so there was, a, you can imagine, six college guys kind of interacting regularly and all that sort of stuff. But one of them, one of my best friends, Paul, had an internship. He was a business major, and so his senior year, I was a junior, he was a senior, his senior year he had a business internship where he would go and work a job, you know, for some of his college life and that, and he met a girl that also worked at his job. She was evidently very attractive, very cute girl, and he wanted to get to know her better. So he asked her out. And he came back to the dorm room one time and said, she, she wasn't a college student with us. She was a college student, but she was at another school, the local community college. And he said, she's going to go out with me. And it's not quite the way girls do it, but the guys, you know, we were kind of like, yeah, okay, we got to get him ready for his date. So that night came and we're, you know, straightening the tie and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, kind of sending little Paul out on his date or whatever um, with this young lady. And the other five guys are like, woo, 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 you know, good job, good for you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, approximately three hours pass by, and we're all sitting in the living room of our dorm room there watching TV. Everybody's still there. Of course, we want to hear how the date went and everything. And he comes in and runs in, slams the door, and just falls against the door. Kind of like Kramer in Seinfeld, if you've ever seen how Kramer does that. Just kind of... (gasps) And he was literally kind of like that. And, and, and we're like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And he goes, he goes we, we had a good dinner, and, and then we were going to go back and watch TV at her place. And I went in and got myself a Coke or whatever and sat down, and she disappeared, and she came out in something more comfortable. And he said, it's our first date. 
And he literally got up from the couch and ran. He ran. Like, uh, hey, this was great. I'm out. Uh, Gone. And he didn't stop until he got back to our dorm and fell against the door. He ran from the temptation. She was beautiful. He didn't need that. And he understood it. And he got out of there faster than you can possibly get out of there. And who knows what she thought, but it didn't matter. He was gone. Okay? And he told us all the story of that. That's what the kind of fleeing that it talks about here. Okay? And I want to encourage you, and I, sh- I share this with young people all the time um, know when to fight and stay and stick and know when to run. There is no shame in running. You know what that takes? It takes humility. I've talked with young people all the time. Well, I can handle this. I can handle this environment. I can handle my, you know, I'm a believer, and I, but I can go into this environment where people are doing stuff that uh, just not a Christian environment. I can handle it, and, and I can do that, and they fall. And they get taken up in all of that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's a good thing to just run. It takes humility. It's okay to say, you know what? I can't handle this situation, so I need to get out. And that's what Paul's saying. Flee, Timothy. Teach your people to flee. Use discernment on when to stay and when to fight. And he could be talking about the whole argument, discussion thing as well. But he says, know when to flee. Discern when you can't handle it and get out. And then one thing that I find really interesting, he also mentions, he says, keep the company of other people that are sharing your values, Timothy. There is a such, or there's such value in accountability. Timothy, be a part and hang out with people that are going the same direction you're going. Be around like-minded people, and that will boost you up, and that will keep you accountable, and that will keep you on the straight path. Paul says, that's a great thing, Timothy, a fantastic thing. No shame in running away. So that's kind of an overview of what Paul's telling Timothy in this section of his letter. Timothy, discern. You need to discern all these different things. What's important to to hold on to and what's not important? So don't argue about that stuff. Don't get into division about that stuff. Know who to trust the gospel to. Be the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Um, Understand God's word and handle it correctly and discern which choices honor God and which don't. So next steps, you already heard them. They're in there. That's what they are. I encourage you, maybe this afternoon, maybe in your own personal devotional times, go back and read 2 Timothy. The whole letter only takes probably 18 to 20 minutes to read or listen to us read it as a staff or something like that. You can find that on YouTube, on our website. Um, But go back and look at that. Or maybe just focus Go back this afternoon and read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at all the different things. There's stuff in there, like I said, stuff in there that I haven't even touched on yet. And it's in there. And like Paul says to Timothy, read through this right after he uses that that soldier, uh, athlete, farmer thing. He said, God will just read through it. Think on this. God will help you understand it. God will help you get it. So read through scripture. Read this. Go back through. Um, It's just full of fantastic stuff.
Now will you stand with me and have a word of prayer? Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to take a look at one small portion of your word, but there's so much in there, so much rich, richness in there. I pray that as we maybe go from here and read back through it, um, that we would, as Paul encouraged Timothy, rightly handle the word of truth. I pray that as we read, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and uh, allow us to grasp it, and not just grasp it for information's sake, but to change our lives. Your word is living and active, we are told, um, and we want it to be living and active in our lives. So take what we have uh, absorbed this morning and change our lives with it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you receive the blessing, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now go and be the church.